Well, hello everyone and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring common questions to medical experts for insight and information. My name is Ariana Berry, a communication manager at Providence, and joining me today is Dr. Robert Litchfield, a doctor of family medicine from Providence Urgent Care in Spokane, Washington. And today we are talking about virus protection and what you need to know about flu, cold, RSV, and COVID. We'll go over how to tell the difference between all of them, symptoms for each one, and some pro tips to help you stay healthy as we head into winter. So let's get started. Hi, Dr. Litchfield. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's get started by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Providence. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I'm, my name's Rob Litchfield. I, I work at the Urgent Care um, in Spokane. We run three pretty big, busy clinics here in Spokane uh, for Providence, and it's been a really just a fun, great way to practice. I got to do my residency at Sacred Heart Hospital in family medicine and um, kind of fell in love with the acute care setting, ER, um, and the urgent care. And that's just been a really good fit for practice for me. That's great. And you have your fair share of flu, cold, RSV, you name it, experience from the work you've done, um, which is why you're the perfect person to have on this podcast today. So yeah, we probably we, we probably get to see as many viral illnesses as anyone. Yeah, I've been in those urgent cares and they are busy. So especially this time of the year. <laughs> Um, you know, as most of us know from personal experience, these virus seem to be really prevalent during the fall and winter. Can you tell us why that trend happens? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. The, the, the amount of viruses, uh, like in the environment, like around us all the time is actually pretty steady and constant year round. It, it actually comes down to how close we are to each other. Um, viruses adapt to their hosts and we are their hosts. And so um, really as we get into fall and winter, it's, it gets colder outside, we spend more time uh, indoors and then therefore more time closer, physically closer together. And then the viruses have essentially have uh, more opportunity to what I call stick um, when, when, we, um, when we're exposed to them. So, so there's, we're, we're constantly being almost bathed in viruses all the time, like all year long. Um, but most of them, thankfully, don't stick and make us sick. Um, but in the in the fall and the winter, that the the odds simply just go up. That that one of them that uh, we're not immune to is is going to enough of that virus is going to make it into our system uh, to get us to make us ill. That is fascinating. I did not know that. Um, wow, how interesting. So you know, one of the things we think about as you know, more of us get sick in the fall and winter is how to prevent getting sick. <laughs> we all want to be healthy and feeling good for Christmas parties or, or whatever holiday is <laughs> happening. Um, what, what's one of the best ways for us to stay healthy and avoid severe illness when we talk about flu, COVID, RSV? Yeah, there's there's two main, I mean, there's several, but, but two main ones probably that are the most applicable uh, from year to year. Um, and one of the first ones are kind of in the in the category of using uh, precautions and, and specifically precautions of um, when we notice that people have symptoms, uh, they, they look Ill, Ill, feel ill, cough, um, 
it's it's okay to what I sometimes call lovingly distance ourselves, right, from from folks who are ill. So that's that's one thing is just using some good sense to avoid as much exposure as we can. The other one is, of course, getting uh, vaccinated. Uh, is you know, vaccines are right up there with sterile technique for like the great triumphs of Western medicine. Um, and so and so I I'm super pro vaccine. I get that it's a um, a, a big topic for for a lot of people, but I. I, I, vaccines remain uh, some of our very best tools, both as individuals and also as communities to avoid um, illness, especially viral illnesses. Well, I love that we have you on today because it's so nice to be able to have the facts and ask someone who has studied this for so long and, and really is an expert in healthcare and vaccinations to get our, our questions answered. So thank you for being that source of truth for us today. So as we talk about vaccines, what are the vaccines we should know about that are available for this cold flu and RSV season? Yeah, of course, most recently as we've as we've you know tried to navigate this pandemic in the last uh, several years, you know, now COVID is still very much prevalent and endemic in our in uh, in almost all over the world essentially. Um and so this year, you know, COVID remains I'm seeing a lot more of it even just in the last 4 or 5 weeks um in the urgent care. Um, and there's a, <clears throat> I'm not even really calling it a booster, to be honest with you, like the, the, the new, it's, it's kind of almost a new vaccine, the, the COVID vaccine, it's the COVID virus mutates readily. Um, and it's, it's actually quite different. You know, it's, I've even, my colleagues and I actually don't even really call it COVID-19 anymore. You know, we used to call it COVID-19, but it's COVID-23. <laughs> it's, it's what it is this time. It's, it's very distinct. It's it's become rather distinct, uh, and so I, the, you know, the, getting our COVID vaccine um, uh, is relevant. I think I'm going to get mine uh, this year. Uh, flu is like the age, uh, you know, influenza flu is like the age old scourge of humanity, or one of them anyway, um, and 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 remains a very elegant virus in its ability to mutate, and so a, 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 an influenza vaccine is still very much in order. I, I really feel like for the vast majority of us, if, if not all of us, um, every year, both for, again, for individual health, but also for community health. Um, and there's a new, there's a, a pretty cool new RSV vaccine um, that is a little bit more nuanced as far as the question of who should get that vaccine. I'll admit, I I probably have some bias in that I just, I'll, I'll take any good vaccine somebody will give me. <laughs> but, um, but, um, and so I'm going to get one, um, but but the the RSV virus is most concerning for infants and toddlers, uh, and it's actually quite dangerous. I've seen some pretty scary stuff taking care of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids who have RSV, and and so in some ways now RSV the virus makes or or gets adults ill. It makes us sick, but it's kind of, for most of us it's kind of like a really bad cold. The RSV virus is, um, but for but for if, if we have a cold though, and we're taking care of our little ones, they end up getting this virus and then they get dangerously ill. So, so part of receiving the RSV virus for me is actually not passing it to my little kids or the little kids that I get to spend time with. Um, and th they're older, um, older, um, if I can use the word sicker individuals also are at risk for some complications from RSV, but the main, the main uh, focus for prevention there is for, is for babies and toddlers. Okay, so much good information there. Um, and I think it's so fascinating that COVID mutates just like we see the flu is different every year. COVID's different. And that's why we adopt the vaccine. So that's great to hear. 
Um, one of the things that I've heard a lot of questions about and seen on like TikTok and things is people wondering, can I get the flu vaccine and the COVID booster at the same time? Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I do just, you know, as in, in a, in a short answer, I, 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 if I, if it's available to me, I'll get them both at the same time. Um, uh, vaccines are, a vaccines in, for, for me, vaccines remain a personal health decision. Um, and, uh, and so some folks, uh, and I also really believe, believe pretty passionately that folks should pay attention to their own health experiences, uh, meaning some folks will really, really insist. They'll say that, you know, I, I don't like getting vaccines because I feel sick after I get a vaccine, or they feel like if they have had more than one vaccine at a time that they, that they get more sick or they're, or they're miserable for a week or something like that. Those experiences are real. Right. That I'll admit I haven't ever had those kinds of reactions to vaccines, um, but some people have. Um, and so if I, I would tell people if, if they know that they've experienced times where they've gotten more than one vaccine at a time and it really made them miserable, space them out a week <laughs> or, 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 or space them out two weeks or something like that. Um, but you, you can very safely get both of the vaccines at, a, uh, at the same time. There is a certain variety of of immune reactions to the to the vaccines um and so uh some some folks can get quite symptomatic after having a vaccine and technically we don't consider that an illness meaning like from from a physician's point of view we don't really consider that a, a sickness or, or an illness we we think of that more of a reaction than anything that, that tends not to be dangerous the dangerous reactions to vaccines are extraordinarily rare um, so the short answer is yes, we, we can get them at the same time. But if, if people have hesitancy with that, it's, it's still totally respectable and reasonable if, if folks want to space them out by some weeks. That's really good to know. And you did talk about, you know, some people ha may have that reaction. They feel tired after getting the flu vaccine, something like that. Um, can you talk about what I've heard and tell me if this is correct is that's, that's showing that your body is is working with the vaccine and that it's going to help you in the long run. Is that true? It is. It, it, it's true. And, and another, another truth to go with that one is, is that if, if we're not having those symptoms, it doesn't mean the vaccine is not working. Okay. So it's, it, it's that those symptoms that we get after or, or could get or may get after a vaccine are, are largely the variety of, um, of what is an extraordinarily complicated set of uh, things. That, that happen with our immune system as we develop immunity uh, after vaccines. And in some ways, uh, after like we get sick, like it, it's, it's uh, a lot of our, a lot of our symptoms, a lot, like, for example, a lot of times we'll blame our, our sinus congestion or our runny nose or the achiness, we'll blame it on the virus, right? And that, that seems fair. While physiologically, all those symptoms are coming from our immune system doing its thing, like our immune system really amping up all these, what I call angry inflammatory cells to do its job and create immunity and get us better. But in the meantime, we have to suffer through the war, <laughs> essentially. Um, and so, and so kind of, uh, kind of a, a, almost oftentimes a mini version of that can happen when our body is developing immunity from a, from a vaccine. Interesting. Okay. That's good to know. I get my flu shot uh, later this week. So I'll be thinking about that. Um, and you started to talk about symptoms and let's kind of take a deeper dive into that. When it comes to symptoms with flu, COVID, RSV, et cetera, sometimes it feels like there's an overlap. Like I get some symptoms are the same with flu, some are the same with COVID. Um, can you walk us through some of the shared symptoms that we see across these viruses? Yeah, it's, it's the notorious uh, 
clinical struggle with viral illness, really, like this, the, the especially the the onset. And again, kind of like I was uh, um, d- describing earlier, the in that the immune response or our, the response of our immune system within our body to almost any virus is very, very similar. The symptoms thus become very, very similar, almost indistinguishable sometimes. Now, that being said, there are some patterns that we look for um, and try and try and pay attention to. Like if I if I'm getting to see getting to see and getting to help a patient, um, and and for for example, um, just some basic uh, guide, you know, kind of some basic guidance or, or perspective that I try and share with folks is influenza is is markedly worse of an illness than a cold. I mean, we're talking like it's, you won't, it's very rare that a patient will not be able to tell the difference. Like when, when we get influenza, we'll usually tell our friends afterwards, we're like, oh my gosh, I was so sick. (laughs) It's just way more sick than you were used to being. And one of the key symptoms with influenza is, is just miserable ache. I mean, like it feels like every cell in your body hurts just everywhere. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, and like when I'll ask people, tell me about your pain or tell me about your symptoms, they'll say, you know, I don't really even know that I have pain in any one spot. I just hurt everywhere. Like, like, like equally throughout. So we sometimes will call those body aches, but with influenza, that is almost always. Um, and, uh, COVID COVID is, uh, still, a still a, a developing entity really clinically, as far as our understanding of it, both, both, um, what we call pathophysiologically, meaning like the science uh, in in the virus itself, but also really my my main work as a physician is actually trying to gather, like to really really carefully gather information from another human, right? Like I I just really carefully interface with somebody, and and I just tell them, I tell folks, tell me the story, like tell me everything, you know, about what you're experiencing, and then you're you're connecting the dots. That's what I teach my med students and my residents and stuff. Is that largely you're just gathering as much helpful information as you can get. And then you're gathering the dots uh, or trying to connect the dots to try and give them the best recommendation and help them the most. Um, but in, 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 in COVID I'm seeing much, there are some aches, not as bad as influenza <clears throat> is, is in the most recent cases of COVID that I've seen. And then um, instead of like, is, is, as most of us will recall early on, there was the loss of taste and smell, for example, I'm not really seeing that at all. Like that, that is still seeing it sometimes, but that's not, is really as as prominent of a symptom as it was early on in night in uh in 2020 um but like right now it's a it's a people will describe a really weird headache like they're like a frontal just weird headache that's different not necessarily the worst headache they've ever had but a different headache than they've ever had and then sinus congestion and sore throat like those like right now that's what i'm seeing for for the, the kind of what we what i would call the covid syndrome um, with influenza, it's almost miserable, miserable body aches. For example, oftentimes when I walk into a room, when I can tell someone has influenza, they're laying down, like sitting up hurts, right? Like with influenza, they are miserable. Um, usually some cough, almost always fever with influenza. Um, and, um, and, uh, so, so again, any viral illness can cause that, that gathering of symptoms, but with experience, you can kind of you can kind of start to tease out the subtle differences, and you're predicting what is making someone ill. But but in but influenza is gnarly, gnarly body aches, almost always fever, usually some cough, terrible fatigue, um, and then uh, COVID is se- at least lately anyway seems to be more headache. Um, now, in when when we're trying to distinguish things like influenza and COVID from uh, the many, many families of viruses that cause what we call the common cold. 
usually a cold when when we're trying to when I'm trying to talk someone through or or, or um, kind of gather from them the information to decide is this is this a nasty cold or is this influenza? Uh, a lot of times with a cold, particularly for adults, there's usually not always a fever. In fact, commonly there isn't a fever um, with with a common cold, and then your symptoms tend to be more. Um, uh, like it's usually sore throat, it's usually fatigue, and it's usually sinus congestion. Sometimes it's a cough. The cough is almost always um, from what we call post-nasal drip. Um, uh, and so that's, that's kind of more the mix for, for, for the common cold for adults. Okay, that's really interesting. So what about for kids in the common cold? Yeah, great, great question. So, so kids are a little different. Um, uh, for for kids with colds, they almost very commonly have a fever. I mean, like I almost expect one um, if if the kids get any type of virus, especially the younger they are. Um, and and the other and another interesting thing about fever. Uh, sorry to be jumping to a different topic necessarily, but just in in sort of to work through a, how we how how I sort of coach or encourage parents as they as they're caring for their children with fever. The height of a fever, meaning whether it's 100 degrees or 103 degrees Fahrenheit or 104, usually that doesn't necessarily guide us uh, to one uh, diagnosis or another. Actually, now now the higher a fever goes for a child, they will be the, they will be uh, proportionately miserable. Meaning, the higher that fever is, they are just miserable. If, if they have like a 103, 104 fever, it's awful. And they can have some kind of real disturbing symptoms with that. They can seize, which usually aren't dangerous, but it's, it's awful. If any of us who have children, it's terrible to watch our kids go through a febrile seizure or to be, or to, to, to be enduring the fever symptoms. But the fever itself actually isn't dangerous. It's actually almost, we're talking almost never dangerous, like the, the fever by itself. And so oftentimes what I'll, um, coach parents through and talk with parents about is, is that does the fever have any other symptom with it? So the fever alone doesn't worry me too much. Now I, I do advocate treating fevers just, just for, just to help, um, just to help just almost compassionately, <laughs> just to, just to help, help a kid through an illness. But if the, like, for example, I, I don't worry too much about the fever by itself, but if, for example, the, if the child has pain anywhere, right, then I, I want to see them, right. Or if, uh, if they are having like a really, really awful sounding cough or they're struggling or working to breathe, I want to see them, right? Because then the fever could be something else. Maybe this isn't a cold, right? Maybe this is uh, another process going on. So the fever alone, I usually just encourage people just treat the fever, Tylenol, ibuprofen, uh, children's Tylenol and ibuprofen. And usually it's pretty impressive. Like when you, when you see a, uh, a, a kiddo who's got a really high fever, and you and you you give them the right dose of uh, a Tylenol and ibuprofen. I oftentimes have people alternated every three hours to control the fever. They snap back. I mean, they just they totally come back and act like themselves, and they they just do great if you if you control those if you control the fever. But um, uh, but that's one of the main differences between uh, adults and children's colds. Another one of the main differences in how we treat them is. Um, a lot of the over-the-counter cold remedies, they're, they're all, most of them are great, by the way. Like, like some, some folks are really down on medicines that are available over-the-counter. In, in my experience, both as a, like as a human, we're all patients, right? Um, but as a human, and the, but also as a physician, is, is that a lot of the over-the-counter medicines are very helpful, both, mostly for symptoms. Um, the, what gets tricky, especially for younger children, is a lot of those medicines aren't safe, or we, or we don't consider them safe. Um, uh, for, 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 for kiddos. So it's, it's a little bit harder to help control their symptoms when they've got a bad cold. 
Well, that's really good info for us to have to to know when we need to call our doctor, our pediatrician, our you know family provider. Um, you know, depending on what's going on with our kids. So that's all super helpful. And while we're on the topic of talking about children and these illnesses, can you talk to us more about RSV and why it's so dangerous for, for young kids? I mean, last year it was all over the news. Our hospital, I know here in Spokane, Secret Heart Children's Hospital was full of kids who were so sick. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a it remains a huge challenge and one that unfortunately will likely remain. I mean, there's 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 actually a couple of main viruses. One of them is RSV. The other one's called human metanumovirus um, that cause what we call a similar a similar syndrome, meaning a collection of symptoms uh, that that patients can experience. And and what happens in RSV or human metanumovirus if I get sick? with one of those viruses, I get a cough, I, I feel tired, I, I could get a fever, but usually not, meaning myself as an adult. Um, uh, and I might, I'll probably be sick for five or six days would, would, be, a, would be a very typical course in an otherwise healthy adult. With, with babies especially, and then also with toddlers, um, they're, uh, if, you'll, if you'll allow me to describe this, the, um, our lungs, the, I, I usually distinguish for people, within our lungs, we have what I call pipes, which is just the tubes that come from our, our trachea down into the little tubes that branch out into this really beautiful little tree down into our lungs. And then there's spongy stuff. <laughs> and, it, and, and the spongy stuff is where the magic happens. The, the, what happens with RSV is the, the littlest tubes way down at the end of what we call the bronchial tree, the littlest tubes get blocked. For, 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 for smaller children because their tubes are way smaller than mine are. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a combination of what we call pathology, like the virus, but also it's anatomy, meaning this stage of their life puts them uniquely susceptible to this uh, pathologic process of the RSV or the human metanumovirus. Um, and so uh, it's why it's so dramatic and scary to, to see a, a child with RSV who's, who's got RSV pretty bad is, is that the idea is, is that right at the very end when the air is supposed to make it to the spongy stuff it can't um it just all of them are just blocked off and so they oftentimes they'll sound like they'll be moving air through the big pipes in their like through their trachea and then through the big pipes in their lungs but the air can't get where it's supposed to go um with uh, with rsv or with human metanumovirus interesting so does that kind of lead i feel like different illnesses you'll hear different cough sounds like a cough will sound dry or sweat or something else um, is that, does that kind of contribute because of, of that? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, uh, <clears throat> this is more a point, uh, oftentimes for physicians or for pe people that I'm teaching, but like the, the uh, children with, um, RSV have a very distinctive sound. Like it's, you can, you can recognize it once you learn what it sounds like, you'll always recognize it. Um, and it's this, it's this crackly, um, almost like glass sound when you're listening to them with your stethoscope. Um, and they'll, but, but, but for parents, it can be, it can sound dry, barky cough. It can be anything. It, it, it can sound dry, wet. The, the cough quality or the characteristics of the cough really can be quite variable um, with RSV. So it's hard to tell. Um, it, and and I, I, I tell folks very often, if, especially with little ones, if, if, they're, if parents are, well, in general, I tell parents, if you're worried, I want to see them, right? Like it just, if, I just, it's, it's always better just to make the doctor do their job. Um, and I also tell folks, I may, I may pat you on the back and tell you to go home. Right. But, but I, I feel better about that. If I got to see the kiddo and, 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 and got to take a real good look myself, um, 
so, it, but I tell them if they're worried, just bring them in. Absolutely. And then if, and then particularly if there's any worry about their breathing, I, I even in the clinic, I'll sometimes say, if you think that you're thinking that you're worried about their breathing, then they come in to the urgent care. I'm happy to see them. Like, <laughs> um, because uh, the for kids, your your biggest um, your main complications of, of like dangerous um, situations, like health situations for younger children, overwhelmingly is breathing problems or breathing issues with their lungs, and then the other one is dangerous dehydration. So those two things. If there's any concern about that for parents, I want to see the kids absolutely. That is such an easy rule of thumb for us to keep in mind. So thank you for spelling it out. Um, I want to bring us into a little bit of a speed round of fact or fiction. Um, so what I want you to do, Dr. Litchfield, is um, I'm going to read some statements and you let me know if they're fact or fiction. If it's something that you really want to dive into and be like, okay, here, I need to talk about this, feel free to jump right in. Um, I'm going to start. I'm going to stir the pot on this one. Chicken soup is good for a cold. Um, yes. Uh, and, but, but the, the reality is, is that all nutrition is, <laughs> it's funny. Cause I actually just made some chicken soup for my daughter, uh, yesterday, but the, um, but yeah, so, but, so when we're sick, it's a great question. And I, I feel better when I eat some good chicken soup. Sure. But, but physiologically, um, I think the reason is, is that it's appealing, it's warm, it's basic, simple food that most of our bodies tolerate and find appealing when we're sick. So it's a great choice, but, but mainly it's any, uh, healthy nutrition when we're sick uh, that we tolerate is actually just as good as, 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 uh, as chicken soup. So you don't live by the, the old saying, feed a cold, starve a fever. Absolutely not. Yeah. Like the, the it's, we want to maintain my, my basic rules for nutrition in general, again, outside of viruses even is, is it's fresh. It's modest, modest portions of fresh, real food, period. Like that's the, that's, that's general nutrition for me. But when we're sick, it's as much consistent nutrition as, as our patient will tolerate. Another thing on that topic is, is that calories really don't make a huge difference in our getting better. I mean, they help. I mean, if we, if we can tolerate some, the, the sooner we're tolerating good uh, nutrition patterns, the sooner we're going to feel better. But, but as far as like the focus for nutrition when we're ill, it's, it's mostly fluid volume. Like like uh, Powerade, Gatorade, ginger ale, those kinds of things. Fluid volume is almost always more crucial for our bodies, like maintaining their vital functions. Um, uh, but but nutrition is mostly it's it's as much as it's as much nutrition as the as our patient will tolerate. Okay, good rule of thumb there. I'm going to keep it in the food realm then. If you're congested, factor myth, you should avoid dairy. Uh, myth. I do. I do think it's important to acknowledge people's personal experiences. Some people will swear up and down. They're like, if I drink milk, then it really makes me miserable. For those folks, I think I'd say, yeah, don't drink milk. <laughs> but but for but for others, they might have an experience where like, oh, what I really need is some ice cream, right? Like when I'm sick, if I, my throat hurts, if I just get some ice cream, that just makes me feel so much better. But it that but the but the milk quality or content itself, like the fat and that kind of stuff, it really doesn't contribute significantly either way. Okay, good to know. Um, back to the realm of flu. True or false, the flu shot gives you the flu. False. All right, next one. If you got the flu shot and the COVID booster last year, the COVID vaccine, you should still get the vaccine this year. True. In my, I, I would highly recommend it. That's my, that's my personal recommendation. I'm going to get both. Um, and, and I think, and I would, 
a point of emphasis. I think there's a place for all to, for all of us to go ahead and get vaccinated. But I would emphasize for any of us who are older or who have problems with like our or who have health problems, me, meaning like if I have problems with my lungs or my kidneys, um, I, I all the more reason to be vaccinated for both influenza and for COVID. Great, great advice there. Um, next question, myth or fact, you can get a cold from being cold or having wet hair in the cold. So this, so this is a myth. I, I, I think the reason why, probably the reason why this pattern maybe has been noted by people over the ages um, is, I, you know, when we're cold outside, we tend to want to come in and warm up and that puts us around more people. Right. And then and then on odds, we're, we're more likely to get we're more likely to catch the viruses that they're carrying or have been carrying that make us sick. So so it's a so that's that's a myth. Back to your main point. I love it. Um, my next my next fact or myth for you is if you do not have a fever, you're not contagious. That's a myth. Um, and and actually, this isn't true for every virus, but a a, a very typical viral pattern um, is that we're oftentimes we're actually the most contagious, like the day before we have symptoms. Meaning we don't even know that we're sick. It, it's like a clever little evolutionary trick of the virus, right? So it, it and so we're actually with some of these illnesses, we're kind of teeming with virus and spreading it around, but we don't even know we're sick. Um, and then commonly we will be. Um, will be contagious again all depends on the specific virus but it's but in in, in general patterns um will be will be contagious for three or four days oftentimes three to maybe some somewhere between two to five days um the amount of virus in our bodies the, the, our immune systems are super cool like 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 incredibly like like very efficient um at at tree at uh fighting off the illness and reducing the what we call our viral load meaning the total amount of virus like running around in our bodies um and and the amount of virus goes down exponentially over time meaning i'm not nearly as contagious on day five as i was the day before i knew i was sick right or, or as i was on day one um could, could i possibly be contagious yeah but but the odds go down over time now we can stay sick meaning we can stay symptomatic well after all the virus is gone or most of the virus is gone because again, we're living through the war, right? We're, we're living through the, our, our immune systems uh, processes that make us congested and tired and achy. Um, but, but um, uh, yeah, but the, yeah, those are the typical patterns of how contagious we are. Interesting. You are teaching me so many new things. I love it. Um, I want to jump into home remedies. Some of our listeners may be really into the natural remedies. So sure. let's spill the tea. There is a Starbucks drink. It has been going viral. People are literally calling it a miracle cold cure, and it's called the medicine ball. Uh -huh. um, it's jade citrus mint green tea, some peach herbal tea, and some other things. Is, is a tea like this, like truly a healing elixir, uh, excuse me, is a tea like this truly a healing elixir or is this more of a placebo effect? I mean, people always send me tea when I'm sick. What is this? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I, and I certainly wouldn't discourage anybody from doing sick, like from taking 
safe, taking or drinking or eating like safe, healthy, reasonable things that make them feel better. That that's just typically that's that's not going to be bad or or, or problematic. Um, but but the most you know the reality is, is is these are these are really helpful symptomatically. Meaning people will feel better when they have a really nice hot, hot cup of tea. Uh, opens up the sinuses, it vasodilates uh, our blood vessels that are in our in our upper respiratory tract and, and helps uh, at least momentarily, sometimes longer than, you know, than we might expect um, with, with the symptoms themselves. Um, and then of course, there's always, there's always a little bit of placebo in things that we want to work, right? Like when, when we want to feel better, we're looking to feel better and we want the medicine ball to be the, be the magic cure. And I'm not, I'm not telling people not to do a medicine ball, rock on, go for it. <laughs> if they're, if, if, if they've got a cold, but, but mostly it's not, it's not directly and specifically like killing the virus or slowing it down. It's essentially helping your body through this experience. That is a really good way to say this. And I should say, this is not sponsored by Starbucks. It's just a good example. <laughs> I got, yeah, and I got, I got nothing against Starbucks. Like I, like that's, and I love that they call it a medicine ball. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so on the list of things that people say like, oh, this helps me feel better. Sometimes gargling, um, does that help? Does that actually help your throat and congestion? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, great, super good topic that, um, so, so most oftentimes, you know, a lot of us grew up or, or for some years, our grandmas, you know, or our, or our parents have taught us to gargle salt water. Um, and actually, so again, that, that isn't, that isn't changing the virus process in our body, but it is, it can help dramatically with the symptoms, especially like if we still have our tonsils. Um, that really helps like cleanse a lot of the ex like the stuff that'll ooze. I know it sounds gross, but the stuff that oozes out of our tonsils, we call them exudates. Um, like if, if we can clear that out and kind of, it helps lower inflammation in our throat and helps um, soothe pain and keep the, the surface of, of the back of our throat sort of moist instead of dry. And it can help with sore throat. So, so gargling salt water is it's super, super safe and can be quite helpful with symptoms. The other one that I, um, that I pitch pretty, hopefully not too aggressively, but like the, but, um, um, doing saline rinse, uh, in our sinuses, it's, it's a hard, particular. It's, it's some of it's a cultural thing. Like in the States we're we're kind of against this in the Mediterranean. It's like, it's like, uh, like in North Africa in the Mediterranean doing a sinus rinse is actually a, it's, it's like brushing your teeth. It's like, it's like basic uh, hygiene, essentially. It's like gross if you don't do it, <laughs> but, but, but in the States, we're not used to it um, really. Um, but it's, it's like remarkably effective for all kinds of different things, whether it's, uh, so it's, again, it's salt water. And a lot of times I'll throw a little bit of baking soda into it. Um, but the, um, but it, it helps dramatically with just all the miserable sinus secretions that most of us, or a lot of us will experience when we get sick. Um, which in my opinion, I, I actually think the worst symptom in the world is nausea. Um, and, and, and a very, very close second, uh, is, is a bad sore throat. And a very, very close third is when you can't breathe at night because your sinuses are absolutely clogged up. It's the worst thing ever. Um, and, but, but think like say like some saline rinse, uh, into our sinuses, it like mechanically, uh, cleans out a lot of the excess thickened secretions when we're sick. Um, and it's like, we, I, you can do it three to four times a day. It's super cheap. It's super safe. Um, and it's, it's remarkably effective and a, and a terribly underutilized therapy, um, in, in the States, as it turns out. That is interesting. I had an aunt who always swore by it and I, I, I'd never seen anyone else do it. So, um, that's good to know. There's some, some good, strong background behind it. 
fascinating. Um, I'm going to ask you, you know, we've been talking, we opened up this conversation talking about how flu, cold, RSV, COVID, we start to see more of this as we come together, you know, holiday gatherings, big crowded functions in the winter, Christmas concerts, that kind of thing. Um, what do you recommend to people and what should we be thinking about as we head into this time of gatherings? It's a, it's a super good, important topic because largely, I mean, we can even, we, we even track the flu itself um, and, and see some very predictable patterns and, and, and by, by association, other viral illnesses, um, uh, or I should say patterns with other viral illnesses. Um, by the holiday season, we travel and we should, you know, the, 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 I, I love that we call it the road home, right? For Thanksgiving. It's like, it's like, it's one of my favorite parts of the year. It's absolutely my favorite holiday. Um, and, and we should do it. We should go, we, you know, we, like, like being together is, is, as far as I'm concerned, like connecting, uh, as humans is like what life is all about. Um, and, and so there, I, I don't think any of us should feel like we should want to do that. Like that's healthy. Um, uh, at the same time, we are together and it's cold and, and we, and we very commonly get each other sick. And so I, I usually just encourage folks, um, October before the, the holiday season starts is a wonderful time to get vaccinated because within about two weeks, you're at full immunity. Um, and so I would encourage all of us get vaccinated in October before we get ready to travel for the road home and for Christmas holidays and New Year's. Um, and then I also, there's still, of course, also uh, uh, an important place for using wisdom and discretion. Um, if, if we're really, really sick, um, uh, maybe it's best to delay our travels or to, or to, or to make some, some careful adjustments in those plans. So we avoid getting others sick. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and kind of on that topic, I do want to revisit masking. I know a lot of people are tired of that thought, but I have started to see more people in the grocery store on flights wearing masks. Um, you know, do you recommend adding masks back into the equation this, this fall and winter? Um, and, you know, maybe is there a certain type of person that that might really actually be really good for? Yeah, great. Super relevant question. The, um, the short answer is yes. Um, I, I don't think that we, and this is a bigger conversation, but I, I don't think that we ought to go back to the space where everyone is required to wear a mask anywhere and everywhere we go. I, I, I don't think that that's a space we should jump back into because I, I almost think it created more struggle and problems um, in in the in the masking topic. Um, whereas there was almost this this personal statement by not wearing a mask, if that makes any sense, and and it got away from kind of just making a good decision as an individual. Um, and so I I just I just would advocate just people using really just again wisdom and order um, and and saying. If, if I'm really feeling sick or I need, or I, I really need not to get sick, <laughs> then, then the masks are, the, um, the masks remain uh, quite effective against what's called droplet spread, which for many, many viruses can be as, as high as like 90% or higher uh, of, of the different, of the different spread of these illnesses that we can pick up. And so that um, a, a common a common critique that, that we'll hear from folks maybe hesitant to utilize, uh, for example, a mask or, or to get a vaccine um, is that, well, it's not 100% anyway, right? 
And that's true. And, and, and another thing I share with folks all the time when I get to see them is in medicine, there's no 100% for anything. <laughs> like there's, there's no certainty, there's no 100% anything. But we can play the odds, right? And, and, and play those odds in our favor. Like for example, when, when we get vaccinated, even if a vaccine is, let's say it's 60% effective or 65% effective, that, I mean, I, I, me personally, I, I'd like the 65% chance of not getting influenza and being out of work for a week or for 10 days, um, as opposed to taking the hundred, you know, the, the unprotected odds. Right. Um, and then on top of that, there's of course the exponential effect within a community of the virus, not, pr uh, propagating, you know, from, from, from person to person and then group to group. Um, and so just because it's something's not a hundred percent doesn't mean it's useless. Um, and, 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 and a similar concept I feel is true for masks, meaning, meaning there's a time to wear a mask. Absolutely. I wear, I still am wearing, um, I'll admit it like in the clinic, I'm not wearing a mask for every single patient. Um, but for all respiratory illnesses or potentially respiratory illnesses, I'm at least wearing a, um, a basic mask. And then particularly like, for example, if patients come into the clinic and they have had a, a like a positive home COVID test, or it's really likely that they've got influenza, I wear, I still will put on an N95. Um, but again, that's, that's just trying to use some, some personal wisdom in order of like, what's, what's, what's a good decision and how do I use masks as a tool? Um, and so that's, that, those are kind of the main concepts that I would advocate for people not, not to be, uh, not to, to write it off, but to use it, um, as, as it can best benefit us. And again, especially if, um, if I am older or have, um, uh, like chronic problems with my lungs or my heart or my kidneys, it's, it's, there's, there's going to be some scenarios where it's probably very wise to, to utilize a mask. I love that you called it a tool. It's just one more tool in the toolbox as we think about visiting with family. And I know I'm thinking of my grandmother who has some heart issues and, you know, I can mask a couple weeks before I go visit and just increase the odds that I'm not going to bring anything home. So absolutely. Great peace of mind. Awesome. Well, as we close out, you know, this has been such a great discussion and I know I've learned a lot. I hope those of you listening have learned a lot about virus prevention, um, understanding COVID flu, RSV, um, Dr. Litchfield, can you end, end our conversation today by just reiterating what you think are maybe the, the key messages, the top points that people should walk away with as we think about flu and COVID and, and all of this? Yeah, thank you. There's, these are, these, um, you know, in some ways, path, uh, you know, getting sick is like, it's as common a human conflict as there is. Um, and these, the, the, the presence and the relevance and the risks of viruses are never going away. Uh, at least, at least I, I mean, maybe at some time in the future, but I don't think in most of our lifetimes, it, it's likely this is going to go away. And we need to really uh, both individually and then as communities, I think, um, utilize some really good patterns and principles to help keep each other healthy and well. Um, and, and, the, and the very best ones that I know of that are available are to, 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 to get vaccinated uh, when it when it's uh, available for us to do so, and also to use really good judgment um, and tools um, to avoid uh, getting sick if we can, but also um, uh, exposing others and making them at a higher risk of getting sick and using good tools like um, discretion about uh, travel and distancing and uh, and then also using tools like masks uh, when when fitting and rational and appropriate. Great. Well, thank you so much again for your time and expertise. We really appreciate you getting the facts out there. Um, and thank you all to our listeners for joining us today on Talk with a Doc. 
we really look forward to continuing this important conversation on health and wellness with even more experts from Providence in future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our missions, programs, and services, go to providence.org. And please remember the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have questions about a medical condition or treatment. Again, thank you to Dr. Litchfield and thank you for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you.